Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Hello, I'm Sherry Hoyt, and I'm your host. Today I'm talking with Stanley Chow, author of Selling to China, a practical step-by-step guide to help small to mid-sized businesses succeed in China. Stanley Chow has lived or worked in China for over 25 years and has performed over 200 consulting projects for over 100 companies. He is Managing Director for All In Consulting that assists Western companies in their China business development. Chow speaks fluent English, Mandarin, and Japanese and has degrees from UCLA, Columbia University, and the University of Pennsylvania. He resides in Los Angeles, California. For more information on Stanley Chow and his book, Selling to China, visit his website at allinconsult.com. Hi, Stanley. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Yeah, thank you for having me today. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. What is Selling to China about? It's really a, uh, a how-to book, and it teaches small as well as big companies uh, basically how to do business in China. I've been in China for, oh, uh, over 20 years now, and uh, I've been seeing all the mistakes, uh, all the problems that large companies have and small companies have uh, in China. So this is a, a summary basically of my 20 years experience uh, in China and it accumulates all the mistakes I've made as well as all the uh, all the good things I did and uh, someone who reads this book won't have to make the same mistakes again that that I made and large companies made they they should be able to get off in China running rather than having to, you know, reinvent the wheel again. So, yeah. um, and, and 20 years ago, there weren't any books about China. You couldn't about it and then learn from it and then, and then go to China and get things straight. So we all did things from scratch. Yeah. And so I, I just wanted to give, a, to give a primer, a real kind of brick-and-mortar view of how one should go about doing business in China. Yeah. yeah. Well, doing business in China is a pretty relevant topic. It's been in the news a lot lately. So uh, talk about the Sino-U.S. trade war. What do you think will happen over the coming months? Yes, um, that's, a, that's a question I've been getting uh, a lot from both my clients as well as others. You know, I, I really think a lot is going to be based on the midterm elections mm-hmm. coming in the next two weeks. I think both China and the U.S., President Trump is waiting to see what happens. If the Republicans and President Trump have a very good midterm election, I think you're going to see President Trump's teeth really, really show. Mm. It's going to give him um, the energy. It's going to give him the fuel to really, really go after China. And he's talking about uh, raising tariffs an additional 15 to 20% on January 1st. Uh, I think he will really do that if he does well in the next two weeks. If that happens, China won't cave in. China will do the same uh, in kind. They're going to raise, raise tariffs. And then I think you're really going to have a long-term economic cold war that could last oh two years it could last even another six years if president trump wins in 
in 2020. But if President Trump and the Republicans have a poor midterm election, mm-hmm. I think you're going to see him back off. And he's going he's gonna to give in a little bit. And then the Chinese will give in a little bit. And then you'll start seeing the relation kind of get back to normal. And I think that's what businesses probably prefer. So we're all waiting to, to find out what's going to happen in, in two weeks. Yeah. There's a lot at stake in these midterm elections and on a number of fronts. Yes. So Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross recently said that China was running out of bullets since they don't have enough products to put tariffs on. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is China running out of bullets? I don't think so. Uh, I think this is where uh, Secretary Wilbur Ross and uh, the U.S. government uh, lacks insight on all the things China can do. Mm-hmm. Of course, China is going to run out of products to put tariffs on. They just don't import enough from the U.S. Mm-hmm. But they have a arsenal of weapons that the U.S. doesn't have. And I'm already starting to see that. I call one of the weapons regulatory harassment. This is where they use red tape to slow down commerce. Uh, For example, I'm working with some Maine lobster fishermen right now, and about a month ago, they shipped about 5,000 pounds of lobsters uh, into Shanghai. Those lobsters sat in a tarmac in a cargo aircraft and basically rotted away in 120 degree temperature, which ruined tens of thousands of dollars for this uh, main lobster fisherman. And the lobster fisherman came to me to see if I could help. I went to find out, and I got from customs just a, a standard letter saying we had too much shipments coming in that day, and those lobsters had to sit on the tarmac. There's nothing we can do. I'm starting to see that for a lot of produce right now, a lot of uh, um, vegetables, or meats that are that are coming in, and that's what I call uh, regulatory harassment. Yeah. On, on another front, um, you have so many American consumer companies operating in China. You have Starbucks, uh, McDonald's, KFC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can picture the Ministry of Health, China's Ministry of Health, coming in and saying, "We're going to close all 3,000 Starbucks tomorrow because we found." Uh, we, we found a rat in the back of a Starbucks kitchen. Those are the things that China can do that we, the United States, cannot. I'll give you another uh, weapon that they have, and, and I don't think the Chinese will do this unless things get very, very extreme. But uh, an example is China produces practically the world's supply of pharmaceutical raw materials as well as the actual medication. Really? Um, yeah. Penicillin, for example, they supply about 70% of the world's population. Wow. What, what if things got so bad between China and the U.S. that China one day suddenly said, you know, we have a, a bunch of penicillin factories that aren't operating well mm-hmm. or aren't doing well. We, we need to shut them down. So we have to cut our supplies to various countries and various companies. 
what would happen if suddenly the U.S. lost its supply mm -hmm. of penicillin as well as other leading medical supplies? We would be in big trouble. And, and, and I, again, I'm not saying China is going to do this, but these are scenarios that the U.S. should think about before you start really, really getting heavy into an into a economic Cold War. Right. You know. Right. When push comes to shove, right? Be careful. Yes, because they have a lot of bullets, and they have bullets uh, that we have. We we can't take some of those options that mm -hmm. that China can. You know. Yeah. So, what should American companies do to anticipate the worst? Yeah, I see now the world um, in the next twenty years that you'll have two spheres of influence. You have the U.S. sphere of influence. And that will encompass North America, some South American countries, uh, and the EU, and some Asian countries. Mm -hmm. And if you're uh, a, a U.S. company, you will have relatively free access to these countries, these areas, and this is the U.S. sphere. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to have a China sphere of influence, and that will encompass um, uh, the Eastern Bloc countries, or what, 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 what they were called before, uh, Russia, uh, most of Asia, uh, some South American countries, and I would say most of Africa. So to partake in China's sphere of influence, you're going to have to be seen as a Chinese company. So well, I'm, I'm, I'm advising American companies now to establish yourself in China. Create a subsidiary have a Chinese brand, uh, manufacture and market your products in China as a Chinese company. Mm. So you can one day participate in, in China's trading block, so, so to speak, right. as well as the U.S. trading block. Yeah. So you have to be in both countries today. You, it, I, I don't think it's going to be an option for you to continue to operate in the U.S. and just export to China. Hmm. So. Well, Trump accuses China of intellectual property theft. Is that true? I don't think it's true. And uh, this is where I'm coming from. U.S. companies go to China and in certain industries like uh, aviation, um, automotive, and financial, you have to form a joint venture if you want to establish a company, if you want to sell your products or services. So many foreign companies in the past have gone to China and formed a joint venture with a, with a Chinese company. The foreign company then brought its technology into the joint venture, and both companies jointly used it, uh, continued to do research and development, and, cre and possibly created new technologies. Mm -hmm. The Chinese then took these technologies and some formed their own companies or in many cases the joint venture disbanded and the Chinese were left with that technology. So I don't consider it the Chinese stealing the technology. Mm -hmm. um, uh, American companies put the Chinese in position to be able to freely accept the technology. So I, I actually blame the foreign companies. I blame greed 
they they saw an opportunity to go into China, to uh, to sell their products and services, formed a joint venture, and freely gave this technology to the Chinese. I I today spend about thirty percent of my time with foreign companies trying to unwind the joint venture, trying to dissolve the joint venture. Mm. And when I view the contracts, when I view what, what they've done over the years, um, the technology was there, was there for the Chinese to, to freely take. And no one put a gun to, to these American companies. Right. You know, the executives uh, volunteered the technology over. So I, I, I know... Trump likes to accuse the Chinese of, of stealing the technology, but I, I think a lot of the blame has to go to American companies for allowing Chinese companies uh, access to the technology. Yeah, and, and that's where I'm, I'm not in agreement with uh, Trump. Mm-hmm. Doesn't the same thing happen everywhere? Yes. The U.S. forms of joint ventures in Europe, in other countries, and uh, other companies, other European companies steal American technologies or, or, or have access to it. Mm-hmm. It's just for some reason it's, it seems to be more sensitive with, with China. And I, I think it's because China now is the second world power. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's now taking the place of, of Russia. It's not just an economic threat right now to, to the U.S. They are a military threat. Um, they are a political threat. So these things that everybody does throughout the world just seems more more sensitive when, when, when Chinese companies do it. Yeah. So what are the most difficult aspects about doing business in China? Um, I think for foreigners, for Westerners, it's, it's the trust factor, trust and uh, instincts. Um, foreigners like to sometimes not use logic. They, they want to <laughs> feel the market. They want to get to know their business counterparts and develop that, that trust. And then they come back and say, boy, I really trust this company or I trust the CEO of that company. I have a really good gut feeling. And I tell my colleagues or, or my clients, you don't know your Chinese colleague. You have nothing in common with them. You don't speak the same language. You don't have the same uh, social background. Mm-hmm. Uh, your education is totally different. And yet you want to think that you can get to know him or her and can develop a trusting relationship. So I, I always tell them, take that out of the factor and go with logic and go with proof. Yeah. You know, as, as President Reagan said, uh, uh, trust but verify. Um, but I don't even say trust. I, I just say verify. Mm-hmm. Everything has to be verified. That, that's the number one. And number two is you really have to know what products and services to bring to China. Um, many companies have brought products that were copied. Um, China... Uh, even though they have laws in the books to protect trademarks, patents, copyrights, they're not really enforced. So before a company even wants to go to China, I say, let's take a look at your product. How technologically advanced is it? Is there any way 
a company in China could copy it, could pirate it, could, could steal something off it, and then not just ruin your China business, you could be creating a competitor that now is competing with you on a worldwide basis, mm. stealing your own domestic market, and ultimately bankrupting your company. So you have to know what products to bring to China, and you have to know the ramifications of what could happen if your product is in China. Because you don't really think about that in other countries. If you go to the UK or Europe and you bring a product and it's copied, you, you have ways out. You can sue, but in China, it's still difficult to sue. Why is so that? I, I would, why is that? Because typically a, a company that's stealing some technology, at least in the, in the past 10 years, the company has been owned by a, a, a state-owned company. The government essentially owns the company. Okay. And you're a, a big company. You, you want to sue them in court. Well, you, you have to sue them in a Chinese court. You can't sue them in, in the U.S. So you go to China and you sue them in China, but the Chinese court system is actually part of the government. So they're all one and the same. The company is owned by the government. The court system is run by the government. <laughs> so so, so yeah. you're basically say, uh, taking the same person to the court. Right. So it doesn't work. There, there's no separation of powers in, in China. Now, that's getting better now. Uh -huh. they, uh, the, the Chinese government is trying to, is trying to separate um, the, the court systems. There have been some foreign companies that have been able to sue and have, have won. But it's not something that I, that I want to bet on today. You know, maybe in the next 20 years, any company will have full legal recourse to do something. But I, I would not bet on it today. We're not there yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. what are the best industries and products to introduce to China? Um, I'll separate the products, uh, one for consumer and one for industrial-type products. For industrial, anything related to commercial aviation, be it uh, maintenance, testing, components, parts, China is very interested. Mm -hmm. um, waste management. Uh, they have a, a middle class that's growing. The cities are growing at a very rapid pace, and they don't have enough uh, waste management centers, so they need new technologies. Uh, green energy. Uh, anybody who's gone to China ha has probably witnessed for themselves the pollution. Um, they have a big pollution problem on for air, the water supply, so any services or technologies related to that. Uh, China is also making a big push on the pharmaceutical and bioengineering side. They want to develop their own technologies and products. On the consumer side, the Chinese are actually looking for unique products, um, things that they can't particularly buy in China. So uh, custom-made products, hmm. uh, foreign-made products, um, things that, that you have to order on demand, uh, for example, Scottish wool sweaters. There's a small company in Scotland that makes sweaters on demand. You have to order, and then you have to give them your 
your, uh, your, your body dimensions. There's a small Oregon company making uh, crafted fly fishing rods. I, I talked about Maine lobsters. That, that's something you can't buy off the streets in, in China. There's a small company uh, in the Northeast that's making chocolate fudge, and they're quite big now in the Shanghai area. Uh, again, it's something out of the ordinary, something that you can't really pick up in China. And so that's, that's where the Chinese consumer is now, is now heading. They're, they're looking worldwide for that unique product. And that's going to, I think, open up the door for a lot of uh, uh, smaller companies, yeah. a lot of foreign smaller companies, right, that, that, that have a, maybe a home business that are making uh, specialty homemade items. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yes. Can you share one or two of your predictions about China that you discuss in your book, Selling to China? Yes, I'd be, I'd be glad to. Uh, the first is, uh, any of you who have been to China recently know how busy the airports are and uh, how long uh, the lines and wait times are, checking in, going through security, going through uh, customs. Um, it's just going to get worse uh, in the next 10 years. Uh, you, you have now a middle-class population uh, anywhere from two to 300 that's going to double in the next 10 years. And China just doesn't have enough airports, and it, does, and it doesn't have enough airplanes. Uh, Boeing and Airbus uh, just can't make enough airplanes for, for China. Wow. So think about, think about doubling the size of the travel population, double the size of the foreign population traveling in, in China. So things are going to be uh, packed at the airports. You'll be lined up from the outside. You, you won't even be able to get a taxi cab that'll take you into the airport. You'll probably have to get off somewhere outside and then walk in. I'm already, you know, waiting, uh, getting to the airport uh, three hours early for a, for a short one-hour domestic flight now oh my gosh. Uh, in China. So, yeah, um, I, I've waited in line uh, to clear security for hour, hour and a half. Ugh. So I, I just think... Uh, Things are going to get worse. You cannot double your capacity in, in the next 10 years. Yeah. It, it just can't. It's, it's impossible to happen. The second thing is um, we, we all talk about movies and Hollywood. I think you're going to have now China Wood. Oh. And I, I, don't think it's, yeah, I don't think it's going to take over Hollywood, mm-hmm. but it's going to be in par with Hollywood. The uh, Chinese are buying a lot of... Uh, uh, U.S. movie production companies. They're probably going to ask writers uh, to come to China to work for them, uh, directors. So you're going you're to have a lot of movies in the next 10 years uh, being made in China. Hmm. And they're going to have kind of dual plots where you're going to have Chinese stars acting in them. They, they might be filmed in, in Chinese cities. Um, so it's for a dual audience, the yeah. Westerners as, as well as the Chinese. And you're already starting to, to see that in um, a movie that came out a few years ago, The Martian, mm-hmm. uh, starring uh, Matt Damon. There was a Chinese spin to the movie where they, they went to China to seek China's help to get Matt Damon off of Mars. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. yeah. And a movie that just came out this past summer, um, the, the Meg about a prehistoric shark 
They had a very famous Chinese actress uh, as a starring role. Uh, some of the scenes, they were speaking in Chinese. And that movie, uh, The Meg, did very well in China because of the star and because of some of the, some of the Chinese-speaking scenes. Right. So you're going to see more and more of that. And uh, Hollywood, some movies will come out of Hollywood, and some movies will come out of China Wood. And that will be in the next, I think, well, within five years. Wow, yeah. that's yeah, that's kind of exciting, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is, and you'll you'll see movies with different plots, different spins, having a Chinese theme to it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, what is the future for foreign companies wanting to do business in China? Yeah, I think the future is very bright for for Western companies, but they're going to have to take a new attitude, and the attitude is you won't be able to export. You won't be able to just go there on a business trip and provide your products and services. You're going to have to establish yourself in China. You're going to have to have a China subsidiary with Chinese employees, Chinese engineers, and and a whole different marketing and sales team. So you would essentially have two companies, one running your, your Western operations and one operating your, your China operations. Mm-hmm. And as I said before, you're going to have two different spheres of influence. So the U.S.-based company is going to be the headquarters for the U.S. sphere of influence, and the China-based company is going to be the headquarters for the China sphere of countries. Right. Yeah. I'm curious, what are your interests outside of work? Yeah, I, <laughs> I have a 12-year-old uh, son that collects insects, uh, particularly <laughs> beetles. Yeah. So uh, ever since he was five, he had an interest in, in these things. And we would, uh, at first, we'd be traveling across the country in the U.S., going into the forest, uh, desert, uh, looking for various types of beetles, uh, praying mantises and, and so forth. <laughs> and then, yeah, and, and then uh, um, I found out that most of these beetles come from Asia, come from the, the tropical rainforest. So uh, starting four or five years ago, uh, when I had a weekend, you know, I, I go to other countries like Malaysia, Thailand, Indonesia, and if I had a weekend there, I would, I would hire a guide, and uh, he would take me into the, into the rainforest, and we would look for various types of beetles. And I would take it back to my hotel room, and I would uh, Skype my son, and <laughs> I'd show him this. Yeah. That's cool. And he would he he would look it up uh, on the internet, and we 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 would sometimes spend hours uh, on Skype talking about what I did and 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 this particular insect. So it's a hobby, but yet it's something I can do to connect with my family and my son while I'm away. Yeah, and absolutely. It, yeah, it keeps me yeah, it keeps me involved with the family because if I'm gone for so long, my my, my daughter and son tend to tend to forget about me. This kind of this kind of keeps me in the loop. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, that's probably not true. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> now, yeah. are, are ladybugs beetles? Do they qualify? They are actually beetles. They are and. 
people think a ladybug is a ladybug, but there are there are hundreds of different types of ladybugs. <laughs> yeah. So he's got one one case full of uh, must be like fifty different types of ladybugs throughout throughout really? the world. Yeah, oh, wow. it's very interesting. Yeah, wow. yeah. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting. Yeah. Uh. yeah. So with all your travels back and forth, you must have some interesting stories about China. And I was wondering if you could share one of your favorites with us. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I was on a bus in China a few years ago with my father. We were traveling as tourists from one city to to another. And on this bus, uh, there were both uh, Chinese locals as well as foreigners. Mm-hmm. And uh, for lunch, uh, we were given these uh, KFC boxes. And uh, as the foreigners were, were eating, and uh, then they were putting the bones back into the boxes and the napkins and the paper cups and so forth, they were being very, very polite. Uh, but the Chinese, on the other hand, as they were eating, were simply throwing the bones out the window. <laughs> they, would be finishing the, they would be finishing their Coke and just throwing out the whole, the whole cup. And the foreigners were, were kind of laughing at the locals. Uh-huh. And, and my father saw that, and then he got kind of uh, irritated. So he, he stood up and uh, pointed to the Chinese, and, and speaking in Chinese, he, he told them, he said, look, all these foreigners are laughing at you. You're polluting your own country, throwing away the trash out the window. And have respect for yourself and, and your own country. Put the garbage where it belongs. Hmm. So after this long speech, the Chinese kind of nodded and kind of agreed and, and thought, well, this, this kind of made, made sense. So now as they were eating, uh, eating away, they put the bones back in the boxes, the napkins, the plastic wrappers. But then they opened up the windows and threw the whole box out the window. And they all did the same thing. So my father and I were just simply flabbergasted because they didn't understand the main point that my father was trying to make. <laughs> and this also has a, has a business lesson, is that we, we go to China and we make our point, and even though it seems so logical, it's not so logical to the Chinese because they see things differently. Mm-hmm. They view things differently because of our upbringing. Yeah. And that's what I that's why I try I try and tell people. It's it's we're on different frames of reference. Right. And and, and I always tell that story to to my business colleagues. I yeah. love that story. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Thank you. Stanley, thank you so much for being with me today on Inside Scoop Live. I really enjoyed getting to know more about you and your book. Yes, thank you. It was very nice to speak to you today. To our listeners, thank you for joining me today on Inside Scoop Live for my interview with Stanley Chow, author of Selling to China. For more information about Stanley and his book, visit his website at allinconsult.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews at insidescooplive.com. <laughs>